0: Fashion Questions. On each episode, we ask a different question to retail insiders about the fashion industry. This is where they share their views and insights. Brought to you by Hive. The group's fashion portfolio includes Moda, and Spring and Autumn Fair, Pure London, and Source Fashion. Stay tuned. Welcome to Fashion Questions. Traditional retailers are developing omni-channel capabilities pioneered by their tech-first counterparts, investing in technology and innovation. Retail analysts suggest that the lion's share of profit growth is likely to come from activity that goes beyond traditional trade, from strategic partnerships to -to business-to-business services and products. Businesses with an elevated purpose and greater sustainability will do well, but it's also important to use technology, data, and automation to succeed. The customer will increasingly shape decisions, so much so that the latest report of the Future Laboratory, one of the world's most renowned future consultancies, is entitled A Hyper-Personalized Future for Retail. With me in Hive's podcast studio is Fiona Harkin. Foresight Editor at the Future Laboratory. She'll answer this episode's question. What's the future of retail? Good afternoon, Fiona, and thank you so
1: much for being with us. Thank you for inviting us here. It's really good to talk about this.
0: Retailers already use technology in many ways. They know how consumers behave in store and online. Is this enough or do they need to have a holistic understanding about
1: them? What do you mean by hyper-personalized? So we're focusing on what we call EQ commerce. So this is, it's moving beyond an omni or, or it's expanding on an omni channel strategy. Um, so for, for a while now, it's been important to be an anywhere retailer where you're there with the consumer at um, point of inspiration for purchase, whether that's being in a physical store or on social media or on an e-shop. But I think now we're looking at um, the arrival of new data technologies um, that go beyond helping brands to um, understand um, consumers through data. It's it's about using it to build more personal relationships. Um, So um, whether this is through co-ownership models, which... um, related to web three technologies or just a more meaningful exchange of data so you know brands may have data about their their customers but really how are they using it are they using it in an emotionally intelligent way Um, and I I think this this data now from consumers we're moving from privacy to privilege and a brands make they're treating this data as a privilege like is, is there a good value exchange between the customer and the brand and the, where the customer says, hey, here, have this information about me, but use it in a really good way to give me more of what I want when I want it, when I need it. So that's how you know, it's moving on from this kind of omnichannel to omnipresent with a, with a more emotional understanding of the consumer. And also I think uh, you know a lot of us as customers, I mean, personally, I don't want to be algorithmed. (laughs) Um, I do, you know, you know, when I'm shopping, like many people, we still want the element of serendipity and magic. Um, And, you know, we do live in digital filter bubbles and algorithm bubbles. Um, So I think this really is about how brands can better use technology to create these more personalized magical shopping experiences. So, for example, it's not really about Personalization targeted emails. It's about knowing what's of value to consumers and when.
0: And how can retailers stand out now that access to this privilege, as you mentioned, is becoming more and more widespread?
1: Yeah, I mean omnichannel is a strategy. It's not really a, a, a marketplace, and yes, um every retailer is is. Vying for attention and and for customers, but I think really this this implies more than ever a frictionless retail experience, and and it's still something that we're talking about. I mean, for, m- for many years, you know, I've, I've tracked um, the rise of digital retailing and you know worked on uh, you know early e-commerce sites as well, but we st- we still talk about how many retailers just haven't got this. Frictionless experience, right? Yeah, and I think a lot, like a lot of supermarkets haven't, but because they're um, they're already established, they're quite heavy businesses. Um, and, you know, I, I do find it surprising that some, some of these supermarkets really are still scrambling to create a, a proper omni-channel experience. Do you think there's an opportunity
0: for small independent retails because they're more agile? Well, it, it's always been the
1: case. If you're new to market, you're far more agile. Um, and, you know, obviously the super, big supermarkets have been challenged by a lot of brands. You know, obviously Amazon as well, um, but at, at the same time, um, you know they have this—they have this very siloed structure and uh, inability to iterate and innovate digitally. Um, and you know, offering a frictionless retail experience means that you—you know—maybe have to restructure your business quite significantly. So you're not operating in silos, but I think you know, being there when the consumer needs you is really important. And not to have it, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, some retailers, even though they're offering so home merchandise, still can't get that delivered with a grocery experience because they don't have uh, the logistics to cope, to cope with, you know, delivering bigger products and those kind of things. Um, but, um, you know, so I think this is, is when, you know, a, a greater focus on loyalty and understanding what your, your customer needs comes in and can help build, um, expand and deepen that omni-channel presence and create this more frictionless experience where you feel that the retailer understands what you need and you're getting um, a little bit extra when you go. I mean, going back to the supermarkets, I think uh, you know Tesco really uh, have done that with the revamp to their loyalty scheme recently um, and making sure that discounts are available to those who are in a, a club or subscribe to the loyalty scheme. So you really do feel as though you are getting a value exchange for the information that you are giving them. Um, so, you know, I, I, in fact, there's, there's an interesting stat It's from IBM, and it says that m- more than one in four people, that's 27%, choose to mix physical and digital channels while shopping with nearly three in four, 72%, um, depending on stores as part of their primary buying method. So, you know, it's really clear that um, consumers demand all different types of retail experiences. Retailers really need to look carefully at their tech stack about how they're going to help achieve this. Another platform
0: that is in the pipeline is the metaverse and some brands are already exploiting to their full advantage, but for others it's still not so much Mm. the case. How do you see this evolving and can can the metaverse bring that relationship between customers and brands
1: closer? I think in some instances it can do, but I I think what we're seeing at the moment is a, a sort of a retraction in interest in the metaverse. As a concept, it really does offer um, amazing potential, um, and there's been a lot of hype about it, uh, you know, a a a 3D virtual space. But I think it really boils down to what's the use case for it? Do we... We've just come out of a pandemic where we've been isolated. Do we really want to stay isolated by operating in virtual worlds um so i think it's it's figuring out when it's applicable for your for your business i i, I do know some luxury brands uh, you know have, have explored this um uh and you know creating more permanent virtual flagships um that op- that literally operate as replicas of a a real world flagship um and they're not just a, a one-off promotional gimmick um so it is a, a way to um, access the brand virtually so I think that is there's going to be a leveling out I think you have to think really carefully about whether it's right now relevant for your brand is there a use case for it and and if not then just wait and see
0: (laughs) and talk about How do you see the expansion into circular economy more and more? I mean, I'm just thinking that Risho just opened a new store in Kings Road where they have alterations, they have vintage, Mm. they have a coffee shop, they have a bar. So it's all about experiential retail and they also have rental as well. Mm. So do you think this is the way forward where brands have to offer something that is a bit more circular? Oh, no.
1: They absolutely have to. It's something that we're at the Future Laboratory. We've been discussing above and beyond this particular focus on EQ commerce for retail. Um, And there are retailers like Esprit who are building like, you know, UX focused sustainability hubs. Their stores, you know, really tracking product and, you know, offering uh, recycling points. Um, But yeah, I I think this right to repair movement. Is, is growing significantly um, and it's it's about holding revenue if not volumes <laughs> um, and that is is crucial it goes against some brands ethos you know they don't want to be called fast fashion brands but they are and they rely on vol- volume and small margins um, but they now have to figure out a way to really um, authentically, put eco-equity into every product and into their brand. I think consumers really expect it now. They don't want to feel bad or guilty about what they're buying. And so I, I think, you know, one of the areas where this kind of right to repair um, movement is is growing and the legislation is moving to match it in, in the US in particular is with, with um, uh, technology, particularly mobile technology, um, so I think it's it's Nokia who have just recently launched a repairable phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been quite a few iterations of this in the past where you can get a phone that um, is uh, modular, but it's not really taken off. I think, you know, you need to um, go where the consumers are and they're with these smartphones, these iPhones, and, you know, they don't want to be just replacing and throwing away. They want to know that when they finish with a product, the brand takes responsibility for it for its lifetime. And it shouldn't be the responsibility of the consumer.
0: How about live streaming services where online shoppers connect with in-store stuff?
1: Yeah, I see. I think this one's fascinating because you know this, this kind of live shopping, um, it, it's, it's really taken off in China. Um, and there are a lot of lessons to be learned from the Chinese market on that front in terms of live stream shopping. It, in, on many levels, it can, it can be quite basic, like, um, like a, QV, a new version of QVC. Um, but um, it's more about, I think, a, a, when it comes to, say, the American market or, or the European market, I think it's going to be more about customer service. So um, just think of in-store sales associates that are now omni-channel product specialists or micro-influencers themselves. So um, they're working across different channels to speak directly to customers and demonstrate products. Um, I think we will probably see a growth of, of live stream shopping. And, th- and there are certainly services uh, or of businesses um developing there's Lisa it's a German-based business uh, in fact um uh, someone from Lisa will be speaking as a, a, a panelist um when we talk about eQ commerce um but uh, you know it's a it's a like a, a nice plug-in for retailers to help build um a a live selling or live streaming offer. I mean it doesn't have to be directly related to live selling you know it could be say a, a wine brand in Brazil Uh, that we've written about that, you know, can link you directly to a a wine concierge or it can be a supermarket brand in the U.S. that is putting on um, uh, cooking demonstrations. Uh, So... uh, And how do you see the personalization
0: evolving? Do you think then the consumers can become
1: the actors in a way... Yeah, I mean, they can passively consume it or, you know, it can become part of a two-way conversation as well. Uh, it depends how personal the offer is. Um, you know, I know there are certain WeChat developments in, in China that you know, make it more of a one-to-one. But, do you know, you can even look at the growth of direct um, messaging via t- you know, text from brands to consumers. So um, I was
0: also thinking about, uh, for instance, some influencers now were asked to develop a range or a product range. Do you think then a a high-end consumer or a loyal consumer could be asked to do something like that? Do you think consumers
1: will play a bigger
0: role in the product development? Possibly, yes.
1: Yeah, Uh, I mean, there there is so much more potential for that. Um, and, And I think... A lot of this will become more more taste driven um, especially when consumers search for products and um, m- might not necessarily come from influencers but creatives creative consumers um, so I think for example Pinterest want to make you know all all of you know, their, their site entirely shoppable.
0: And for Gen Z, uh, it's all about brands with the purpose and genuine sustainability credentials. Does a hyper-personalization means brands and retailers can have different communities under the same umbrella or do they need to tailor their operations to the majority of their customer base?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's always going to be hard to offer personalization at scale. Um, especially for those retailers who are just starting out. But I think, you know, for most brands, if they either concentrate on their highest spenders or know how to engage with their more loyal consumers, it's always a good place to start. Um, uh, But I think, you know, for Gen Z, we're looking about more involvement with brands and that well, you know, that is linked to the, the tools that Web3 promises. There's been so much, you know, development and talk about NFTs, but actually beneath the hype, they're a really useful loyalty tool. Um uh, You know, as long as the, that transactional element is removed from them. So I do think, you know, Starbucks' loyal, loyalty scheme, Odyssey, <laughs> It doesn't refer to it to NFTs or Web3. It's really accessible. There's not a di- you know, difficult onboarding with a crypto wallet. Um, and I think that will be key to engaging Gen said. And there's also really interesting models. I mean, you know, Gen said it's all about community. Um, I interviewed um, a guy in San Francisco uh, who was a, a Japanese influence, influencer who uh, has, has got significant investment to help build uh, a a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO model for retail. Um, So where you build the community first, and then the community has a hand in deciding what goes into the physical store and how it's merchandised or sold or priced. And really what he aims to do is to create a platform that could be sold to other retailers to help build this community ar- around co-ownership. So, you know, opening up your brand to, to the, you know, Gen Z is, is quite crucial. You have to look at them as co-creators. How about AI? I mean, we cannot talk about the
0: future without <sighs> no. talking about AI and... How oh, do you see that play? Yes,
1: oh my gosh, and it's like, you know, you're seeing it developing more and more very quickly <laughs> and it's hard to sort of pin down a, a particular solid outcome from this. There are many multiple future scenarios that come out of the arrival of AI into the retail world. Um, but again, this, this does go back to um, the idea of, the value exchange when it comes to data. Um, And so I think as long as consumers know that you're not getting their data from a third party unauthorized, um, and that they're getting a a more personalized experience in return, I think AI will provide that. So so for example, there is um, Pixel AI, um, which is a visual search. So now, I mean, there've been companies that've struggled for years to try um, and um, create a really effective vi- visual search tool, and well, now now we have it with with AI um, and and the natural language models that can help you search for what you want visually. Then there's um, Google Cloud, who uh, is January this year, who launched some some extra tools, AI tools for their um, Discovery AI offer. Um, so these are specifically aimed at retailers.
0: And, and how can personal online data be protected? I was thinking about mm-hmm. that example of famous example of the Pope with the mm-hmm. white puffer jacket. Uh, and yeah. we're moving to a place where not only fake images and fake oh, yeah. videos and voice reproduction, uh, how can people preserve their rights to their image, their voice?
1: Yeah. uh well it will be a constant battle um but I think maybe we need to switch the way we think about it as in how will this benefit us how will this augment us it's a bigger picture question I think um you know it's um the the example I always give you know we've been talking a lot about AI and creativity. Um, and, um, you know, when you look at a a synthesized image like the one of the Pope in the the buffer jacket, and you you think, well, is it art? And uh, people say, no, no, it's a synthesized image, but, you know, go back 120 years. And, you know, so Paul Strand made, you know, a beautiful photograph of New York City, and somebody asked, well, is it art? And the question is, well, it's not is it art, but how does it change the very nature of art? so really how does ai change the very nature of us being human how is it going to augment us how is it going to make things better and of course when anything new comes up there's always a friction and the interesting points are the friction um between you know how how can we control it manage it how do we accept it you know we are heading towards a you know another sort of industrial revolution Yes. Um, with, with AI and quantum computing on, on the horizon, mass availability of quantum computing. Um, and it's, it has massive implications for what it means to be human. So that's, that's a bit of a bigger picture answer for you there. <laughs>
0: thank you, Fiona, for being with us here at our Hive Studios. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned.